Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I'm back for yet another episode of Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Thanks so much for being here. This week, I want to talk about a problem that lots of writers, maybe all writers have at one time or another, and that is writer's block. You have a script that's due on Thursday and you are stuck or you have an idea for a novel and you just can't get past page three. Like I said, we all, at one time or another, seem to go through at least variations of having writer's block. And so I thought I would talk a little bit about some of my personal experiences and also down through the years, some advice, good and bad, that I have learned that uh, will help you hopefully get over writer's block should that be something that uh, you are ever afflicted with. So I'm going to start by going way back to the early days of our career. David Isaacs and I were doing freelance scripts, and this was like 1976, early 1976. There was a show on NBC called The Practice. No, it's not the one that uh, you think of the David Kelly legal show. No, this was a show starring Danny Thomas, and I've talked about it on the podcast before. Uh, it starred Danny Thomas, and it was about a crusty doctor in New York. So David and I came in with like five or six ideas for stories, and we sold one of them. And unfortunately for us, it was not a great story. Now, in fairness, I would have to say that we were young and we didn't know and we were just happy to make a sale at that point. Uh, I think today, if we were putting stories together, uh, we would come upon that one. Um, it dealt with racial issues, and it was kind of heavy and kind of unwieldy. And I think today we would see the traps, and we would go, you know what, mm, let's not pitch that one. Okay, that one can only land us in quicksand. But at the time, we came up with anything, and if they were going to buy one and we had a script assignment, fantastic. So they buy this story, 
and we cobbled together a, a story. And here, too, in later years, David and I would go, well, wait a minute, where's the funny in this? Um, gee, this is really kind of heavy-handed, isn't it? And uh, it's kind of sad. Um other than just story beats to move the thing along literally, what is really fun about this script? Well, those are questions that we now ask. We never asked them back then. And I think part of the reason why we now ask them is because we know to ask them after making these rookie mistakes. So David and I sit down and try to start writing this script. It's a bitch. We are having one hell of a time. We're spending the first three or four days just on the first scene alone. And I remember David said, it was like about 11 o'clock in the morning. David said, what if we just get out of town and just go to a hotel and basically lock ourselves in a hotel and bang out this script in three, four days, or at least get enough of a jump that all we have to do is one or two scenes and then we could turn it in. And I said, yeah, at the time, too, we're two young, single guys. Uh, You know, we don't have anyone to go home to. So sure. Okay. Where do we go? Well, we decided to go down to San Diego because that's a nice place to sit in a hotel room. At least you could go out for dinner, which we didn't do, by the way. We ordered room service. We were just going to plow through this script. And we did. And I think the, the change of venue and knowing that we had to just get something down, we spent all this money on a hotel room for two or three nights. We got to come back with something. And we did. So we basically had a, a rough draft when we came back to Los Angeles. And we took a couple of days and polished it and turned it in. Now, the script never got made. (laughs) I talked about this, too, because the show was canceled uh, beforehand. And the two producers, uh, Paul Witt and Tony Thomas, hated it. But Steve Gordon, who was the creator of the show and the de facto showrunner, loved it. And it was just like pulling teeth. So... That was lesson number one we learned. Change a venue. Just shake things up. Don't keep sitting in the same room staring at each other. Get out and do something else. And again, if you're writing by yourself, it's the same thing. Uh, I suggest if you have a script in trouble go down to San Diego. Now, this might be expensive if you're living in Paris or even Buffalo, New York, to have to fly all the way to San Diego to get a hotel. I guess you could get a hotel room somewhere else. That's probably going to work too. But I know for a fact that San Diego works. So 
that's example number one. Example number two, David and I, when we were starting out, our goal was to work at MTM. They had the Mary Tyler Moore show, the Bob Newhart show, Rhoda, Phyllis, and it really was Camelot for writers. They had like the best comedy writers there. It was like a little college, a little fraternity, and the company was run by Grant Tinker, who was the ultimate mensch. We looked up to those shows, and David and I desperately wanted to break in at MTM. So we get an assignment. We get a script assignment for a new show on ABC called The Tony Randall Show. I forget who starred in it. But the showrunners were Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus, who were the showrunners of The Bob Newhart Show, which is one of the shows we really coveted. We go in and we work out a story with them. And as we're leaving, (laughs) Jay Tarsus says to us, okay, guys, uh, do a good job and uh, we'll give you a Bob Newhart show if you don't fuck this up. Flash forward the next day and David and I are just staring at each other. We're basically just frozen. It was like, oh, my God, this is pressure. You know, this is our big break. We could get a Bob Newhart show if we do a good job on this script. And again, every line we were questioning and God, is this the best that could possibly be? And is there another line? Is there a better joke? Uh you know, does, is this too long? We just were questioning everything and and going nowhere as a result. So what I finally decided to do was I did caricatures of Patchett and Tarsus and the other writers, and I just posted it. We wrote my kitchen area, my dingy apartment, And I just posted it, the caricatures, and I made them all look like clowns. They all looked like bozos. So we would get a laugh out of pitching a joke, and then we would turn to them and go, so is this funny? Is this funny, bozo? It, it, again, helped us realize, you know what, fuck it. Let's just do what we think is funny And if we get a Bob Newhart show, great. If we don't get a Bob Newhart show, we will survive. So we we do the script and we turn it in and we don't get a Bob Newhart show. (laughs) We never got to write a Bob Newhart show. But, but we did get a call from Jay Tarsus saying, yeah, yeah, got your script, guys. Uh, nice job. Would you come in Thursday? Uh, we have some notes for a second draft. Uh, and um, you guys want to work here? Uh, what? Said, yeah, you guys uh, want to go on staff? Yeah, this is a good script, so we'll, we'll put you on staff. Like, yeah, yeah. So even though we didn't get a Bob Newhart show assignment, even better, we broke down the castle door 
and got a chance to work at MTM. But that would not have happened had we continued on that path that we were on, making sure that every single line was solid gold. More of me in a moment, but right now a word about honey. And as you dedicated listeners of my podcast all know, Honey is a free browser extension that scours the Internet for promo codes, and it applies the best ones it finds to your cart. How does it work? Very simple. You're shopping online. You get to the checkout. The Honey button drops down, and all you have to do is click apply coupons. You wait a couple of seconds, it scours the net, it finds coupons that apply, and you watch your price just go down and down and down. I use it all the time. In fact, just this week, I saved $14.85 on baby clothes for my four-month-old granddaughter, Charlotte, uh, that she will probably outgrow by the time you are listening to this podcast. Anyway, Honey has saved its 17 million members over $2 billion. And it's free. It's absolutely free. So if you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. Like I said, free and it installs in just a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and, more importantly, you'll be supporting this humble podcast. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Levine. Once again, that's joinhoney.com slash Levine. What can I tell you? Okay, they've saved people $2 billion and it's free. Get this thing. Okay, enough of me. Now back to me. Then the last personal example I'm going to give uh, happened to us in 1986. Where were you in 1986? David and I had just finished creating a show for Mary Tyler Moore. We had done 13 episodes, and it was a slog. There were lots and lots and lots of very late nights, early mornings finishing a rewrite at 5 o'clock, getting a couple of hours sleep on the couch in the office, and then having to be down at the stage at 9 o'clock. And it all began again until 5 o'clock in the morning. So after several months of this, you can imagine that we were fried. When the 13 episodes were completed... We were just zombies, <laughs> really. We were just, like I said, fried. Remember a story? There was a, a writing team way back in the 50s that did a show called Mr. Peepers. And they did them live. They had like 39 episodes, and they, the two of them wrote all 39 episodes and they were done live week after week. So you talk about pressure. You know, it's not like, man, I'm just not feeling it. I'm going to turn the script in a little later. You know, maybe we can push this back a day. No, you got to get it ready. You're on live TV. When Mr. Peepers ended, this was a writing team, and one of the members of the team moved out to California and the story goes that he spent a year sitting in the backyard just staring at a tree. 
again another. But uh, eventually he got through it and he and his partner continued to write brilliant scripts for the next um, 35 years or so. So, yeah, you can get over it. That was a little comfort to us at the time. So I did nothing for three months. I couldn't write a laundry list. And we got a call from the Charles brothers saying, hey, you guys want to come in and write a cheers? We figured, well, okay. So we went in, we met with Glenn and Les Charles, put together a story. And as we're beating out the story, it got longer and longer and more beats. And eventually it became a two-parter. The episodes were uh, Never Love a Goalie, part one and part two. They were the episodes where Carla, for the first time, meets Eddie LeBeck, the hockey player. So we work out the story with them. And then we said, well, we're used to working with a writer's assistant who takes down the dictation, and we're used to working in an office. And Les said, well, you can use my office. I'm not in my office during the day. And you can use one of the writer's assistants from Cheers. Great. Okay. So Monday morning at 10 o'clock, we were going to get together to begin writing this two-part script. And as I'm driving... To Paramount, I'm thinking to myself, seriously, what if David and I sit there and we're still just basically brain dead? And I thought, you know, there's a 50 50 chance that after lunch, when we've managed to write fade in and that's it. And after lunch, we're going to have to go to Glenn and Les Charles and say, guys, we, we just can't do this. We, we're not funny anymore. And there's a a serious concern. So we get to the office and we meet this writer's assistant. Again, he doesn't know us. He's never met us before. So it's like, okay, geniuses, I got the steno pad ready, go. Be brilliant. (laughs) And first, we're just looking at each other, and we start to pitch, like, okay, let's see if we can unlock something. And, And as we start to pitch, it, like, comes back. And it certainly helped in our case that we're writing a show that we were infinitely familiar with. But still... By 11 o'clock, 11.15, it's as if we were back. We were pitching jokes and bouncing ideas off of each other back and forth. And the script was moving along at the pace that we usually go. And I have to tell you, I have never in my life been more relieved. It felt like, you know, when they take the kryptonite away from Superman you know, and his powers slowly start to return. That's the way I felt that morning because I'm thinking to myself, if I can't be a comedy writer, 
what do I do? I, I've made my living basically being funny my whole life. What now do I do? So the lesson there is it does come back. It It is with you. Unless you're Reverend Jim and you're completely fried on drugs, uh, it should be with you. Okay, let me give you some bad advice that I have heard and has been given to me that I have discarded. Uh, two pieces of bad advice. One, three jokes on a page. Obviously, this is for sitcoms. Three jokes on a page. That's stupid. <laughs> That's absolutely idiotic. You basically are writing your story. And the jokes have to service the characters. And they have to service the story. Never Never count the number of jokes that you have in a script. Now, if you do go back and say, well, gee, there's not enough jokes, well, that's okay too, and you can put some jokes in there. But don't go, well, I can't go to page 12 because I've only got uh, two jokes here on page 11. i got to have a third joke. Stuff like that is going to stall you and it's going to stall you for no reason. And then here's the worst advice that a teacher gave me. Okay, this was, this was a teacher. And it's why I haven't taken many writing classes. So he said, okay, figure out how much are you making for the script? Let's say you're writing a half-hour situation comedy, and for argument's sake, they're paying you $20,000. And you are going to write a 40-page script. So you divide <laughs> the 20000 by 40 to come up with $500 per page. And then the teacher said, before you move on to the next page, ask yourself, is this page worth $500? Okay, never do that. Never do that. It is absolutely idiotic. It's wrong. And again, all it will do is just stall you. Uh, one thing that I suggest if you watch, so that's the end of the bad uh, advice. Now back to good advice. One thing that I do now, when I'm stuck, and of course, this is a little easier when you're writing by yourself. When I'm stuck, I just stop and just go and do something else or go to sleep. I know there are some people who have to write seven pages a day or they can't quit until they finish this scene. So they will sit there for two hours trying to find a button for this scene. And my feeling is if you walk away from it and you go and do something else, you go take a shower, you go take a hike, you go to sleep at night, you let your subconscious work on the problem. And then later, when you're in a more relaxed mood, you will be surprised 
the answer will occur to you. Your subconscious mind is working on it while you're having a lovely hike. And at the end of the day, you got your solution. And I'll stop in the middle of a sentence. If if I'm stuck on uh, a line or a story beat or how to get a character uh, to agree to something or how to get a character out of a room and I just can't think of an interesting way to do it, I just put it down and I'll go to sleep and I'll keep a pad next to the bed. And in the morning, I'll just kind of lie there you know, when I'm kind of mellow and, you know, let my mind riff. And so many times the answer will appear. And then when I go back to my computer and resume writing, well, now I've got kind of a head start on the day. Okay. So now I'm building up momentum because I've got the first four or five lines ready to go. It, really works for me and it probably will work for you. There was a Broadway musical director who was struggling with a production number. So he called his good friend George Abbott, who also was a theater director, who was directing literally when he was 100 years old. And he called George Abbott and he said, would you come and take a look at this, get your perspective. George Abbott said, yeah, showed up at the theater. And all of the dancers are just sitting on the stage. And George says, what's the problem? The director says, well, I've got to get it here and I want to do that, but this doesn't make sense and I don't have enough uh, men to do this thing and blah, blah, blah. And, and he says, wait, wait, don't, don't tell me. Um, what do you have? Let me see. He says, well, nothing. We thought maybe, you know, you and I could talk out something. And George Abbott said, wait, no. Here's what you do. Just do something do anything because once you have something then you have something to fix and i tell this story because it really applies to writing there is an expression that we have called a vomit draft and a vomit draft is you have a script to write and normally it takes you let's say, a week to write the script at this stage of your career. Take two days and just write the whole damn thing, okay? And you can put down the first joke that comes to you. You can put down jokes to come. You can put down a funny golf bit, blah, blah. Just just get a vomit draft and then you're not working off the the tyranny of the empty screen or the blank page. Then you can go back and fix the jokes and you know that, okay, I know this, this one scene is in pretty good shape. So, okay, uh, yeah, it's slow going on the turns, but I got a straightaway coming up here. Uh, do a vomit draft. 
That's something that lots of writers will do. Understand that your script will never be perfect. And this is, again, a lesson that we had to learn, and most young writers do when they're starting out. You want to make sure that this line is perfect before you go on to the next line. And that line is perfect before you go on to the third line. Here's what happens when you try to do that. Number one, it takes you forever. And number two, I guarantee you the script will be very, very stilted. It will read just like you were writing it. That it will be just overwritten, overthought, there's no real flow to it, just write as, as, I don't want, you know, William Goldman says, you know, write as fast as you can. Well, write as fast as you can while still doing a good job, (laughs) okay? Uh, Don't just slam anything other than the vomit draft. But if you're not doing a vomit draft or you're now fixing the vomit draft, go at a pretty good pace, but, um, you know, don't go like the wind. You know, some people can write amazingly fast. Larry Gelbart could write amazingly fast. David Kelly, Aaron Sorkin, amazing. God bless them. That's a fantastic talent that they have. I don't have it. I don't have it. I never did. I never will. I go at my own pace. I can't write a script overnight like Aaron Sorkin. Of course, I don't take Coke either, but that's besides the point. Um, the, the idea is to move it along. And if, if you go at not a rapid pace, but if you go at a brisk pace, then when you want to go back and take something out, it's a little bit easier. You're not so married to the material because if it took you three days to write this two-page scene, it's going to be tougher for you to look back and go, you know what, I don't need that scene at all. Oh, you know what, there's a better idea for a scene. You're going to go, no, I put in blood, sweat, and tears for that two-page scene. But if you go at a, you know, a more rapid pace and there's, again, a flow to it, then you just go, yeah, okay, screw it. All right. Um, That scene took me an hour. Eh, I'll take another hour and do another scene. Okay, don't try to be perfect. Also, do understand that not every script is going to be your best. There are a lot of factors. A main factor, as we learned with the practice, is if you don't have a great story, you're not going to have a great script. David and I wrote 40 episodes of Cheers. Not every one of those 40 is a classic. You got to figure 
It's the same way they talk about, you know, doctors graduating medical school. You figure somebody had to finish last in his class and is a doctor. Well, there are out of the 40 cheer scripts that David and I wrote, uh, if we bother to sit down and rate them, there will be number 39 and number 40. And you just, you do the best you can, but don't worry that this script is not as good as my last script. Well, the last script, you had a great story. Last script, you had a great character. Uh, This script, you're just doing the best you can. This script, the showrunner gave you the uh, story, dropped it in your lap, and you have to do the best job you possibly can. Um, Also, remember, if you have to throw something out, your first inclination is to go, oh, God, I wasted two hours doing that or three days doing that. No, it's part of the process. It is what is going to help lead you to the final product. When I wrote one of my plays, A or B, and I have uh, a wonderful uh, writer, Treva Silverman, who I give my first drafts to, she read it and she called me and said, I love the first act. It's really wonderful. And you have a really great idea for a play. You have no second act. (laughs) Your second act is terrible. I threw out the whole second act. I mean, that's weeks of, of work, but the end result is I got that play produced in numerous places. It never would have happened uh, had I just gone in that one direction and had stubbornly said, no, I've worked too hard on it. Uh, this will, this will work. It's like, I trusted her. It's like, all right, I'll come up with a, a new second act. And it was better. Some other things don't rely on crutches. Okay. By that, I mean, you have to wait for the muse to hit you. You have to be in a certain room with soft jazz playing and just the right amount of mood lighting. You have to be at your table at Starbucks between 8 a.m. and 9.45. All of these things are basically crutches and they don't serve you well. Okay, learn to be creative on demand because... If you become successful, you're not going to have the luxury of being able to go to Starbucks in the morning to write. Uh, You're not going to be able to play your soft jazz in your office. So don't rely on, on those crutches. You know, it's not the soft jazz that allows you to be creative. It's you. So don't go, oh, I don't have my soft jazz. So uh, that's, that's why I have writer's block. 
So what are some of the things that you can actively do? Well, here's, here's a good one. Like I say, write about something, write about anything, write about having writer's block. Just sit down with a sheet of paper or sit down at your computer and just write what you are feeling. Just let it all out, uh, what you are feeling, your frustration, your nervousness. I sat at the typewriter. I typewriter, man, man, I'm dating myself. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I sat in the cave and I was scratching out uh, the script and nothing came to me. Just write about writer's block. And you will find in most cases that once you start writing about anything that will unlock your brain. Similarly, keep a journal. Just what happened to you today? Okay, did you have to deal with Spectrum Cable? Uh, Did you see something funny that happened at Trader Joe's? What happened to you this particular day? Just write about it. Just write about it. Do exercises like describe your first car. Just sit down and write a one or two page description of your first car or your first date or your favorite restaurant or a review of the worst movie that you ever saw. Just pick a topic, any topic, and start writing about it. That will help. And the other thing that I find, which is also kind of fun, go to a public place, like a mall or someplace that has like a food court, and just sit with a pad and pen or your laptop or your your old Smith Corona portable typewriter and just eavesdrop on various conversations around you. I bet you you're going to hear a couple of people talking about something that will spark your imagination. Take notes, write down some of the things they said, And then go home and write a scene with those two people. Now, half of it is already done for you by the people themselves. Just use their dialogue. But that will help get you unlocked, unclenched to be able to start writing scenes again. And those are my tips on how to overcome writer's block. And hopefully they helped. And um, that'll do it for this week. Our thanks as always to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to Bruce and Jason Miller. Uh, If you want to write me, boy, there's a good way of uh, 
getting over writer's block is just write an email to me. Uh, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com is my number, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. I'm on Twitter, at Ken Levine. I am on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, and I am showcasing some of my cartoons. So please sign up for my Instagram account because I want to be an influencer. So far, it's hard to be an influencer with, you know, just a few thousand people. So I need another million or two of you to uh, to sign up. I really do appreciate it. Okay, good luck. Uh, if you have writer's block, just know there are ways out of it and you will be fine. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week right here on Hollywood and the Fine. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.